Blaguette, it's Amanda Lauren, and I am not with my co-host, Ali Levine. I know, I know, you were expecting a hey, hey, hey coming from Ali on Uber Conference, but nope, we are not together at the moment. Today our guest is Emily Aries. She is the creator of Bossed Up and the host of the Bossed Up podcast. She's writing a book. There is, she's pretty much, she's really hashtag goals. She's living her best life. She's every cliche that is not basic. Uh, She's amazing. And we were so grateful to have her on the podcast. Uh, When we recorded, though, there was just one little problem, and you'll have to bear with us here. Um, Our conversation, our side of the conversation, um, Allie and I, it was just totally inaudible. And unfortunately, you know, things happen. Um, And ultimately, there wasn't a perfect solution to this problem. But I decided that the best way to deal with it, or a way to deal with it, instead of scrapping the whole conversation, because I promise you, if you listen through, there are just so many gems in here about life, about what you have to do. You will relate to her so much. Um, If you listen through, it will be worth it. So what... I ended up doing was because this podcast was really more of a Q&A to a large extent I edited a little bit and then we recorded basically we recorded the questions in post so I know it's not perfect I know it might not be used you might not be used to hearing our podcast like this but I can promise you totally worth listening to. Um, and if you do like the show, please write us a nice review. Five stars only. Um, directions are in the show notes. You know, but I just, you can also just scroll down and write a review um, in Apple Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. A lot of people are listening on Spotify these days. We also have a private Facebook group, Things We're Too Lazy to Blog About. Um, join us there. Like us on Facebook. Again, all the links are in the show notes. And again, we know this is a little bit different, but I promise it's worth your time. Thank you, Blogette, so much for listening, for bearing with us, and please enjoy what I promise you is an awesome episode with the amazing Emily Aries. Here we go. So, Emily, it's great to have you here. Uh, We know you from the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast. So how did you end up working on that show? So Stuff Mom Never Told You was an amazing, wild nine-month ride. So I had the privilege of stepping up to the mic with my good friend, my longtime political buddy, uh, Bridget Todd, who is still co-hosting after there were some management changes there. And I was excited to launch my own podcast that really allowed me to focus on professional development for women, which is my obsession, my forte. It's what I founded my company on five years ago. But Sminty was an amazing opportunity to be on a big network, How Stuff Works, and now take all of that experience and leverage it for my own independent project, which is so exciting. So how did you go from stuff mom never told you to creating Bossed Up, which is your current project? Sure. So I actually started off my career as a political organizer and advocate, fighting on behalf of policies like health reform, uh, issues related to delivering on hope and change along with the Obama administration after then newly elected President Obama took office in 2009. So I was the youngest state director in the nation, serving in Rhode Island, helping to recruit and train and manage over 200 volunteers across the state, which was incredible entrepreneurial training, and I didn't even realize it. 
We built an organization from the ground up, and I helped people make their voices heard in Washington to advocate on behalf of what they wanted to see in their country. So I was really helping people sort of take ownership of their community. But during that same time, I had lost a sense of ownership over my own life. I'd gone from being an overachieving straight A student and college athlete to not having a syllabus, right? And life after graduation, I found a little bit bewildering because I was so busy grinding nine to five, more like, you know, eight to eight, Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I truly felt at the time like I had to martyr myself for my career, for my boyfriend, for my family, that there was no time to be great at your job and good to yourself. And that thinking really messed me up for a while because after three years of living life that way, not having stepped foot in a gym or really focused on my own physical well-being at all in three years, barely sleeping in three years, having my iPhone and BlackBerry glued to my hands for three years, I completely burnt out. And it's not because I wasn't passionate about what I was doing. It's not even because I wasn't good at what I was doing. It's because I truly didn't know how to adjust from that semester sprint mentality that has these built-in breaks in higher education to life after college, which requires a more sustainable approach. And because I burnt out, I went into nerdy researcher mode. I, I took time off. I had to get my life together, right? Things were really falling apart. And I remember feeling full of envy for the students who I was driving by. I was on my alma mater's campus, Brown University, and I saw these students dragging their bags home for Thanksgiving break. And the whole time I was thinking, oh my gosh, I will trade places with you because I know how to master that domain. I need to figure out how to master this one. And that set me on a road of making really big changes in my life, better understanding how women in particular are conditioned to take care of everyone else before ourselves and how we can change that. And two years later, I was happier, healthier, and frankly, wealthier than I'd ever been in my life. I'd gotten out of six grand of very tumultuous breakup debt which is like a very real thing for the first time really ever. And I moved to a new city where I didn't know anybody. I got a different job. Over the course of two years, I nearly doubled my salary along the way and found myself surrounded by a community of courage, of people who actually saw in me a more fierce version of myself than I even knew was possible. And I wanted to replicate that change for other women because I was so astounded by what had just transpired in my own life. That sounds like it happened really quickly. Well, it was actually really, it didn't feel very quickly at the time. It took about two years and it looked really quiet. It looked to someone on the outside like nothing was happening at all. I just spent more time reading, more time connecting with myself, more time reflecting on what it was that I really wanted, less time at happy hour, less time around substances that allow us to numb out in general. Um, and more time becoming stronger and more physically able than I'd ever been before in my life, which along with it came a new sense of mental strength and mental sustainability. I mean, I'd gone from my first 5k to running an Olympic triathlon in those two years. And that had a profound impact on the rest of my life and my willingness to see myself as a work in progress and to break down seemingly impossible goals into smaller chunks 
Like when you can do that for a half marathon, when you can do that for a triathlon, you can do that to start your own business. And that confidence transfers directly from our personal to our professional. Beep. Sorry. I beep when I mess up on my podcast because I usually edit myself, but um, feel, feel free to use that if you want. But I totally had to leave that in because I just want to show that despite everything, no one is perfect. Not even Emily, although she's like pretty darn close, right? Okay, let's continue on. This isn't so bad with the editing. I hope you all are getting a lot out of it. I know I was, even re-listening to it. All that confidence from my professional life transferred right over into my So it's interesting because I'm a true nerd. I nearly double majored in behavioral psychology or cognitive science along with political science because to me it feels like political science is like how we make decisions as a country or how we make decisions as, as a whole body politic. And cognitive science is how we individually make those decisions, which by the way, add up to our collective culture. And I went back to the research. I enlisted the support of of scientists and psychologists and a bunch of folks on my advisory board who are much smarter than me to help put together our curriculum of, for Bossed Up Bootcamp, which is our first program we ever created at Bossed Up. It started back in 2013. And it took this program really that accelerates women's lives in the same way that I accelerated my life over two years and condenses it down into two days. And getting really clear, especially at those identity shifting moments in our lives as women, like when we become new mothers, when we become first time managers, when we enter the workforce after school, et cetera, when we re-enter the workforce after taking time off, those identity shifting moments are known as inflection points in our career paths and in our lives. And those are unique opportunities to shake things up, to get crystal clear on, okay, what are my goals now? What are my long-term and short-term goals? And how can I be honest with myself in my pursuit of that goal in a way that feels sustainable for me? How can I make thriving and striving go together? And there's a beautiful amount of research that comes into that, that community of bosses that come together for that. And it's kind of like this little alchemy thing that we've been figuring out and fine-tuning over the last five years of my company to see how we can replicate acceleration no matter what your goals are in life, whether you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be a stay-at-home mom, you want to be the executive in the corner office. One of the big problems I've personally had is trying to figure out long-term and short-term goals. You know, every day I go through this, I think to myself, well, what should I do long-term for my career and short-term for my career? And sometimes it's really tricky trying to figure out what makes the most sense and to find that balance especially with what I do because I do so many things. And I think I can't be the only person who feels this way. I mean, I guess especially as a freelancer, but even if you work in an office, sometimes it's it's just hard to figure out what the best course to take is on a regular basis. Well, first I would say there's two things. We can talk about tools and coming out next May, so stay tuned. So much in this book that relates to this conversation too. I'm really excited for y'all to have it in your hands. But, you know, important, it was important to me that this book get finished, but it wasn't urgent to anybody else. Nobody else was going to hold my feet to this fire to make it happen. And that's why a lot of our most dreamy, aspirational, personally important goals never happen. Because a lot of us need external accountability 
And there's inherently not a lot of external accountability when you want to make a life-changing trip to your mother's home country, which I did this March after 10 years of talking about it with my mom, who hasn't been back to Colombia since she moved to the United States at age 13. You know, so important goals need a plan, even though they're not going to be urgent. And then there's the urgent stuff like, oh, shoot, I need to get this podcast out <laughs> before our before our listeners are expecting it or oh, shoot, my boss needs this report for me by the end of the day, or my baby needs this diaper change because that ain't going away unless I do something about it. So having that distinction first has been really important to me because it enables me to structure some false urgency where there are important goals to me. So, you know, setting benchmarks for myself so that I can motivate myself to make what is important to me urgent. So the other part of that is, we have this whole, is that me? So the funny thing is, and this is so in retrospect, so at this point we were talking, I keep like interrupting this, this is kind of working out well, I hope. Um, what I wanted to say is this, so at this point we were talking about how real life happens and how things have to be edited, her phone went off, etc. and then she had another brilliant answer as to what happens when your phone rings when you're doing a podcast. Oh. This is a perfect example. Like that phone call is not important nor urgent to me right now. But some of us feel like anything that's going on in our phones is urgent, right? And like, oh my gosh, I have an alert. I must deal with it right away. Not, not true. So the, the thing I was going to say is that we developed back in 2013, one of the first things I did was work with some of our advisory board members to develop this proprietary goal management tool that I actually have available for free for anybody to use. Thousands of women across the world have downloaded it. It's called the Bossed Up Life Tracker. And it boils down to a one-page worksheet that you refresh every month. We actually released it as a planner this year for the first time and sold out at but by January 4. So we're gearing up to order like three times that many so we can provide all of our bosses with them. But essentially what it's all about is first getting clear on the big goals. Like if you closed your eyes and envision yourself 10 years down the road, what do you see? Who are you with? What do you do for fun? What do you do for work if you are working? And really play with creative imagination. And working backwards from there, what I have found, and this is an exercise we also do at every Boss Up Bootcamp, is the thousands of women I've worked with on this, they make those things happen a lot faster than 10 years. They say, oh, when I close my eyes, I see a dog. What's preventing me from getting a dog right now? You know, I have this belief that I just can't, I'm not ready or something. And all of a sudden, we, we start to uncover these deeply held desires that aren't urgent, but are important to us. And it helps us break down, okay, what is manageable now? What is manageable for me to start taking baby steps towards and making a plan to achieve? And that's where I always say crowdsource your action steps. Nobody else can tell you what, what you see when you close your eyes and envision your ideal life 10 years from now. That's a very personal exercise that might take a lot of exploration and journaling. And, you know, if you're going through a life crisis, it might take some, some dramatic sort of seclusion or whatever it requires for you. But when it comes to, okay, the plan to make that vision happen, the more people you have weigh in on that, the better it gets. Don't keep that stuff too close to your chest. Don't treat it like some secret. Start asking everybody, okay, I want to start a business, 
that is in the women's professional development space. You've done that. Let's talk about the action steps that you took and which ones you wish you hadn't taken. You know, and the more we converse about our action plan, the better off we are in making it happen. And I really like that you have it down to one page. I feel like I really need this. There are so many personal development tools out there and a lot of the time I just go online and I feel like there are too many. One page, one page worksheet. And honestly, once you learn how to use it, there's a bunch of behavioral psychology that goes into it. So it's a whole free downloadable ebook that explains the rationale for how we do what we do. And then it's an easy to reuse and refresh worksheet once a month that says, okay, what am I aiming for so I can get my heart engaged? Right? Because when we're really excited about something, we get motivated. And, and that fire in your belly cannot be replicated, even if you have a great plan. But you have to fire, you have to light up that fire in your belly first. So we have you sort of explain your vision in a word or a phrase on the left-hand side of the page. And then we have to engage the analytical planning part that a lot of type A's are very good at, right? We need to play to both of our head and our heart when it comes to sustaining motivation. So we've got our heart engaged with our vision. On the right-hand side, we write three action steps, three easy-to-do, measurable, concrete next steps we can take to make each of those visions happen. And then there's a few other exercises in the worksheet that require you to prioritize. I love this because one thing I'm really, really bad at is prioritizing. Well, I would push back on that line of thinking, right? Because... That's an area that you might need more practice in. But nobody's born good at prioritizing. Nobody's born bad at prioritizing. It's what does our environment condition us to become great at? And right now, for women especially, who still shoulder twice the amount of house care and child care duties than our full-time working male counterparts, even today, right, we are optimized for multitasking, We women can post on Instagram at one moment, record a podcast in the next, make sure our dog is like, okay, while we're doing all of this, right? We women have 17 goals that we're juggling at any time. We, on average, have two to three more goals that we self-report than our male counterparts. So it's part of our environment. It's part of gender stereotyping that teaches us that a good woman you know, looks hot and can cook a great meal and can slay the day at work, you know? So we're not really conditioned or rewarded for being great at one thing, for prioritizing. You know, one thing that I'm really not good at, it's like when there's so much to do, I get this thing I call analysis paralysis where I I just don't know what to do first. Should I do work? Should I cook? Should I exercise? And it's, you know, I just, I just don't know. And that's personally been a huge challenge for me. Often, like you said, with so many resources out there, it can, it can be called choice paralysis too, or choice overload. And so what I always say is commit, give yourself permission to commit to one methodology for a specific amount of time. So let's say you're trying to find the right goal tracking app for you, or you want to test out if a planner is right, or if you're more of a digital planner. Give yourself a month, a week, a day, whatever the time limit is, and say, I'm committing to this, and I'm not considering any other choices for this amount of time. And allow yourself, I actually have this Into the Bossed Up manifesto, which is our sort of series of sayings that that boil down what it means to be bossed up to me. And one of them is, forgive yourself now for the less than perfect choices you'll make. 
Because if we can get out of that perfectionism, then we can commit to one methodology, giving something our all for a certain amount of time, and then see how it works. If it's not working for you, don't feel like a failure. That means that that particular goal tracking system ain't right for you, you know, and it's time to switch it up. But I always say it can be as simple as starting your day by looking at your to-do list, looking at your calendar and saying, what are the three most important things I need to get done today? And I encourage women to do that on a weekly and monthly basis as well, if not a yearly basis. I mean, Brad the Boo and I, we always set New Year's resolutions together and then we, then we post them in our kitchen on the door where we get our coffee beans in the morning. <laughs> That's so cute. So every single morning on the inside of our kitchen cabinet, our New Year's resolutions are reminding us of our collective vision for the year ahead. Yeah, I think that's so important, especially as a new mom. I never realized how much time I truly wasted during the day. When she goes down for a nap, I have to answer emails or get other work done because if not, I just won't get anything done. It's the lack of choice that actually makes me get things done. I hear this from so many mothers, and I think we give credit in a different to a different thing than we should. So sometimes it feels like a lack of choice is what makes us more focused, but here's what I think. It takes assertiveness to prioritize. It takes a willingness to say no. I have to go to home to be at, you know, I have to go home to be in my house for dinner at this time. And that assertiveness is really hard for women to express in a world that's not even sure it really likes women who are assertive until we're being assertive on behalf of someone else. When we're being a mama bear, nobody shakes their head and we don't feel any guilt because we're being assertive for someone else. So if we can be that assertive for our own behalf, I always say like, you know, Bridget and I talked about this on Sminty a lot, single women sometimes bear the brunt of like emotional labor in work environments as well because we're like, well, why do you have to leave at this hour? Because your yoga class isn't as important as being home for my child. And I get that. But I also think we need to live in a world where it is okay for women to be assertive about their boundaries without us thinking they're a bitch, no matter who they're being assertive. So I was saying this to Amanda earlier. Even with my clients, I have to tell them sometimes, sorry, I just can't do that. Before I had Amelia, I had trouble creating those boundaries. But now with her, I feel like it helps me create my own assertiveness. And I'm able to do, do it and have those boundaries more. Is the number one skill that we teach in all of my programs. It's one of my most popular requested keynotes on assertive communication. Because to me, it's one thing to know where you want to go. But how you get there, especially as a woman who is overwhelmed and not even just overscheduled, but faces role overload in a world that puts so many hats on women. Being assertive is the number one skill that I think all women need to strengthen and all of us are required to have in a world that's not sure if it wants women to have that. It's a rebellious, radical act to be assertive and it's the make or break skill that we all can develop that will help you actually get what you want out of life and work. You know, I've had a similar situation. I mean, I don't have a child, but over the summer, I fractured my spine, and it's it was a really big challenge to balance life and work. And there were times when I just realized I, I can't do everything, that that's impossible. And it's like, you want to know why I didn't reply to that email? I was in excruciating pain. 
You want to know why I needed an extension of a debt? Actually, I didn't get any of my deadlines extended, but the reason why I couldn't do everything as fast as other people would like it, well, I was at a doctor's office. And, you know, the gift of this injury is that I've had to learn to just reprioritize and take care of myself because sometimes there's just literally no choice. And also, nobody's going to stand up for you but you in that case. So it's like, you know, I wish, I wish as women that we didn't need to be giving birth or in excruciating pain, one of, some of which are similar, right? In order to put up boundaries. Like over the past few years, I've been experimenting with what would it look like to make yoga a priority, make hiking a priority, make learning to play the drums a priority for fun's sake, right? And how can I be assertive in a way that leaves the door open to my client's needs, that makes sure everybody's taken care of. I remember when my accountant was pregnant, she sent me an email saying I'm going to be out for maternity leave and these are my boundaries and my rates are going up. And it was this long email, like all of these sort of changes that were coming her way, my way as her client. And I called her up and I said, listen, I know your life's about to change in a major way. I don't want our work relationship to have to change. I want to make this work. So what do you need? Here's what I need. Like, I need a monthly report still. Uh, After you're back from maternity leave, I need a weekly report still. Can we make that happen? Because I don't care when you do it. I don't care how you do it. But if that's going to work, then we can make this work. And I don't want our relationship to suffer. And now her daughter's four. I always measure a lot of my coworkers' um, children's ages off of my, my company's age. I'm like, oh, I think she had her baby at year two. But... So like our, you know, my company and her child are growing up together and we made it work by having that assertive conversation and not getting passive aggressive about it, not just doing it over email, but saying, okay, here's what I need as your client. Can you make that happen? What do you need as my consultant? Because it's all about being assertive is not the same as being aggressive, right? Being assertive is about being forthright with what you need and being considerate of what they need. Whereas being aggressive is just being considerate of what your needs are without any concern for anyone else's needs. But even being assertive in this world gets confused when it comes out of a woman's mouth, right? Oh, she's so harsh. A lot of it is also, especially with us, just accommodating each other and our needs. Like when Allie was super pregnant and could not, you know, walk up my stairs and was really uncomfortable, you know, I'm not going to make her come to LA, come to LA, she lives in LA, but come to, you know, my side of town because she lives an hour from me or, you know, especially with my back and her having the new baby, we were like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? And ultimately we just realized that we had to make accommodations for each other. And I said to her, I'm like, Allie, this is the thing. I can come over. I'm totally capable of doing this, but I don't think I can go upstairs and I'm definitely going to need a whole lot of pillows or I'm going to have to do this podcast potentially lying down and it it was fine it all it all worked out and luckily you know we have that understanding with each other but not everyone does and I can speak for the both of us when I say like we're just we're so lucky to have each other as business partners as you know, podcast co-producers and co-hosts, it's really, it really just speaks to our friendship. And that's a great friend. That's a great partnership. It's also the kind of friend I want women to be to ourselves. 
I have a TED Talk called The Power of No that's all about how to say no and set those healthy boundaries in a way that feels a little more comfortable in a world in which saying no is like, oh my God, it's so dramatic and I don't want to be seen as less than dedicated. I think we live in a burnout work culture. We live in a in a work culture, yeah, where being always on is the default expectation. And that's something our generation is going to figure out what we do with. If you think about it, remember when like AOL Instant Messenger first came on the scene? I'm dating myself. But like we were teenagers, many of us are kids, and we had no self-control. Like we could have been on there for forever. I know quite a few folks who still have that relationship with video games and the internet. But I feel like as a society, we're in our adolescence when it comes to how we manage our lives with our digital tools that enable us to work 24-7 if we wanted to. Now is the time, historically speaking, when we're going to learn how to have a healthy, sustainable relationship with a world that actually makes it possible to work all the time. And it's about growing up. I think we all have to grow up and have realistic expectations for ourselves, for our companies, for our coworkers, for our direct reports, you know, for our loved ones. And it takes being really assertive and clear about what you need and what you want to put your energy into. I'm seeing more creators online making some really interesting, very assertive moves. One of my faves, Lucy Fink with Refinery29, we actually had on the Bossed Up podcast talking about feeling inexperienced because the way she got her job at Refinery29 as a video uh, blogger, a video producer was really interesting. Yeah, and so she's on the Bossed Up podcast talking about it. And I just saw yesterday she, in her stories, made this long explanation to her fans, of which she has like 160 plus, uh, 160,000 plus, I should say, on Instagram. And she said, here is why I'm removing the DM function from my Instagram stories. I've been spending hours every day answering fans' DMs on Instagram, and that's preventing me from doing the things that I think are actually going to further my goals, like creating videos for you and creating better original content. So she publicly set these boundaries, said no to all the fans that she loves and they adore her. And I thought that was such a good example of setting healthy boundaries in a pretty public way in a world that doesn't set them for you. You know, on a similar note, I t- and I totally relate to that because I know I spend way too much time, and we all do, doing things, procrastinating, or doing things that just don't serve us, that just aren't in our best interest. Like, I'll sit there and I'll scroll through, don't judge, Radar Online or TMZ or, you know, these websites, and I'm like, is this serving me? Is this doing anything for me? And then, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, I just, I can't even believe how much time I've wasted. They have apps for that on your phone to like tell you how much time you've been spending on which apps. But um... honestly, I mean, I I don't even want to know sometimes, but also sometimes I just need to do it. Sometimes I just need to sit there and read or just take a break because I need to chill out and stop for a minute. I love that because that's such a good example of crafting a renewal plan that works for you because there's this like understanding of what self-care looks like and it's always bubble baths and manicures and face masks which are fine but like a face mask on the most stressful day while you're answering emails doesn't count as self-care so I always encourage folks to really take a look at when you feel most refreshed 
And some of that renewal actually looks like active renewal. I feel refreshed after playing music. I feel refreshed after playing volleyball. Even though it's an exhausting active rest, it gets you in flow and it makes you feel like your brain gets all the good tingly feelings of renewal. And make a list. Okay, what are the things I can do in 10 minutes, in three minutes, in an hour when I have time to rest and renew so I can I don't have to remember what makes me feel renewed. I have a list to go back to and say, I need to take a three-minute meditation right now on YouTube because I know that's what's going to renew me more than scrolling through Facebook for three minutes. So what does your day look like and how do you manage all of these things? I reserve the first few hours of every day for creation. I'm not taking calls. I'm not doing meetings. I'm not doing much of anything other than writing or reading or blogging or recording something. So those precious hours of creation to me are the most important part of my day. And that's when I don't let anybody else disturb me. And it's not easy. My whole team knows to like not expect me to respond instantaneously in the morning hours. But before I consume, I'm creating. And that was a game changer for me, taking all my meetings in the afternoons. Game changer. So when do you wake up in the morning? Yeah. So I'm a bit of a late sleeper. I'm a bit of a night owl. So I'll stay up till 1130 or midnight most nights um, because I like reading at night and I just, my brain is going. I cannot turn it off. So I will usually sleep in until 7.30 or 8 to get my like seven and a half to eight hours of night. Brad is up way before me. He's like springs out of bed every morning. It's bizarre. I don't even know what to make of it. And after I have, I'm working on healing my gut right now. So I have like this whole probiotic routine. Veganism was great for a few years, but it completely messed up my gut. Um, So I would normally start with a cup of coffee, but now I'm starting with a probiotic smoothie every morning, which is about as fun as it sounds. And um, then I usually tackle the most important creative piece of content of the day. So usually from like 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., I'm writing an email that's going to go out to my list or I'm uh, writing a blog post or I'm working on a Boss Tip episode for the Boss Up podcast, something that's hard and creative And for some reason, I have found that even though I'm a night owl, that first hour of the day is the best time for me to access my creative juices. And then I walk my dog and work out and take a shower. (laughs) So I like, I have this precious little hour of productivity before I do all the things that keep me sane, which is like my inbox is stacking up already for the day and I need to go for a run with my dog in the park or for today I went to a yoga class and then I come home and like, have another breakfast basically and um and then start my day like a real working adult so I'll either work out of the home like I'm doing today when I need to record stuff or I have a great co-working space that I joined which has been really helpful for social interaction which I was kind of lacking at home and I will work right through six o'clock seven o'clock easily and then we'll have a late dinner we're Europeans over here basically (laughs) we eat dinner at like eight or nine at night and I love it I know. I'm the same way, and I always judge myself for it. I know. I kind of love the evening hours, though, because 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock, I'm home, let's say. Maybe Brad and I will, like, do something fun together. We'll go to a happy hour. We'll go out, or we'll take a spin around the block or something, or I'll rollerblade, and he'll ride his bike to the park. But I love coming home and making dinner and having a glass of wine while I'm doing it. 
and like sweating over the stove for an hour. And I, I got into a fight on Twitter recently, a bit of a, a little bit of an unpopular opinion, which I'm known to have a few. I was sort of railing against meal prep culture. I saw that. Because meal prep culture basically says it's a normal, okay thing for us to assume you never have time during the week to cook a meal, which I think perpetuates that norm, which is so sick to me. It's like the sign of a culture that has our priorities way out of whack. But I also was schooled by a lot of really smart responses, including like, yo, have a kid and then tell me that meal prep isn't going to save your life. Or, you know, yo, I have got depression. So I cook when I'm feeling not depressed so that when I come home depressed as fuck on Wednesday night, I can feed myself healthily. And that is self-care to me. So I've come back on, on my meal prep hate. But personally, I have the privilege not having children uh, and, and, and sort of having the control over my own schedule that it is important to me that I'm talking with my loved one or watching the news or FaceTiming my mom as I'm cooking dinner as many nights a week as I can. I'm the same way. I cook all the time. And honestly, it's not that hard to cook. It's not that hard to make a meal. You can make the whole thing in half an hour. I'm a half hour meal expert. That's like my, yeah, because I cook when I'm hungry and I can't wait more than a half an hour. <laughs> so most of the time, unless it's a special meal when I'm planning for friends to have over, you know, it's a half hour or less for sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny because Allie doesn't know how to cook, although she did recently make macaroni and cheese with my help. Um, a lot of people just don't know how to cook. And I find it so odd because, I don't know, in many ways my mom was traditional. In many ways she wasn't. But, you know, she taught me the importance of being able to do this thing for myself to cook a meal. And it really surprises me that it's something that people don't know how to do. Like, you need to feed yourself. You know, there's one thing that um, that I've noticed, which is that, like, a lot of people will, like, for example, I cook, and that's, that's okay. And if you don't cook, well, that's fine for you. But I've noticed sort of, you know, and this is one thing I wanted to talk to you about, was there's this huge issue that if I like something and you don't, that you have the right, not you, but you have the right to attack me, for that um, and a lot of this is going on on the internet where women attack other women for having a different opinion and it's something that I just I just have a huge problem with yeah I mean I totally hear where you're coming from and I also feel like there's this media trope that women are catty in the office and there's some research that shows that people witnessing conflict between two women are more likely to assume it has an exaggerated impact on those women's relationship. Like, oh my God, they'll never be able to work together again. Compared to those same people witnessing an argument or disagreement between two men, we assume, oh, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. You know, it's not anything dramatic. So there's this perception that women are way cattier than we actually are. I think there's a perception that women aren't helping other women way more than we actually are. So, and then blow that up with the media images. I'm thinking of like the devil wears Prada type characters, all these women who are holding other women back and down and just being cutthroat. I think healthy competition is great amongst women. I do think that the queen bee that idea of like there's a queen bee in the office who's keeping other women down because she feels like there's only room for one woman at the top. I think that's a, 
a trend that's going out of style with like shoulder pads. You know what I mean? Like I think that's more of an 80s, 90s thing. And for the most part, I really like this concept known as shine theory um, from, oh, I need to look her name up. Hold on. She co-hosts Call Your Girlfriend and she wrote all about shine theory in the cut for the New York Times or New York Magazine. And this is Anne Friedman. She's got this great theory that powerful women together are more powerful. And I think there's a lot of popular traction behind shine theory, like women creators teaming up to share audience like we're doing right now. Exactly. And you know what? It's so funny. And we've said it before. And you know what? We'll, we'll definitely say it again, which is that we love doing this podcast because it really allows us to collaborate with other people and also like really specifically in this world someone else's success doesn't take away from us someone else it's all on demand so they're not taking away from our downloads it's not television like time slots um and I just think that that's you know really one of the amazing things about this medium but at the same time there are challenges have you have you faced any doing yours I think, you know what, it's like, you've, you've got to try. I get rejected all the time. I'm reaching out to badass women to get them on the pod or to collaborate with them. And like some of these women I idolize and for years they ghost me. And who knows if it's intentional. Maybe my emails aren't getting to them. Um, it is funny because one of them who I've been chasing for years because she wrote about burnout, which is a topic very close to my heart, you know, never responded to any of my very thoughtful, I thought, <laughs> emails or the seven million times I bumped it up for her in her inbox. And then her publicist sent me her new book to see if I would promote it. And I was like, I was like laughing to myself because who knows, like who knows what's really going on with those folks. But without the number of people that I'm reaching out to, if I'm not getting some rejection, if I'm not getting some ghosting, I'm not reaching out high enough. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a fact of life. It's just a part of it. And the more we can ignore that and not make it a gender thing and make it more like a person thing, like, oh, well, some people aren't going to be down to collaborate. Not like, oh, this. Yeah, exactly. Not she doesn't like me. You know, like the internalized, like, oh, my God, I thought I was cool. I thought. <laughs> no, we feel the same way. There are people who've said that they would be on the show and then they ghost us or we can't find a time or, you know, they say they really want to be on and then it just doesn't end up happening. And, and it is, it's, it's really, it can be frustrating. Also think about the amazing people you have had on this show. Like Brooklyn Decker was on the other week. I was like, damn, you know, like the more we can focus on here's what's working let me do more of that. Here's what's not working. Let me not internalize that, not take it personally, not make it about me. Like the narrative we tell ourselves has to be external when we fail. It has to be, otherwise we'll be paralyzed. So when so-and-so didn't email me back, it's not because I didn't write her a nice email. It's not because I'm not worthy of her time. It's because she's got her own thing going on right now. And for whatever reason, this the stars didn't align for us. And that's okay. Like there's there's a lot of potential opportunities that will never happen that have nothing to do with you or your actions or what you could have done differently. And that's, that's the thinking that enables you to get up the next day and try again, you know? And, and I think we have to, as women, give each other some, some breaks and give each other the benefit of the doubt. And that can go a long way. I also think, and this is something I write about in my book, but in conjunction with shine theory, 
Oh my god, the baby is so cute! Ah! What's her name? Amelia Ray, you're so sweet! So one thing I hope Amelia Ray's generation gets that I think our generation is still working on is what I call mirror theory. So we've got shine theory from Ann Friedman, which is like when she's shining, when she's kicking ass, when she is crushing it, don't push her away or feel jealous. Bring her closer and become friends with her. But when you are not crushing it, when you are not being successful, when you are experiencing setbacks and failure, that's when I think we need mirror theory to complement shine theory. Mirror theory is this idea that there are women in your tribe, there are people in your community who will reflect back to you a more courageous and fierce and capable version of yourself than you see at the moment. Without, right, without the people in my life, especially during those two years of very tumultuous transition and identity shift for me, without those people who said to me, you can do it before I felt like I could do it. Before those, unless like even my, my friends who were my running buddies for my first half marathon, they said I could do this if I break it down and, and join them. And, and they were there for me every step of the way. Or my partner who said, you can start this business before I thought, like I, I used to cry all the time and be like, it's just not working. And he'd be like, it's just a setback. You can still do this. That reflection is what keeps us going, not just when we're crushing it, but when we feel crushed by it. <laughs> No, I totally agree with this. I love this. But, you know, I'll tell you, as a freelancer, one of my personal challenges is, like, sometimes I want someone to tell me I'm doing a good job. And some of the people in my life do tell me that. But really, it's not like I'm at an office every day and someone says, oh, you know, good job. You're doing awesome. Or just to troubleshoot with you. I was, like, after a webinar, I was completely tapped last week. We give a lot of free webinars on bossedup.com pretty much every Wednesday. And so last Wednesday I was spent and I just like put on a happy face and bossed up through this webinar and it was great. And I was happy with how it came out. But then I like slumped onto a couch in this common area in a, my co-working space. And knowing that like a friend was going to walk by and say, whoa, what's going on with you? You look like totally exhausted. And I could just have that moment of debrief made a huge difference. And I was a skeptic of the co-working scene for a long time. I was like, this is overpriced and, you know, I need to watch my bottom line and I can work from home. It's fine. But I have to say those minute by minute social interactions really make a difference when you need a pick me up, especially. I mean, I know personally, like, I would love to do co-working, but it's also, but I also have a home office that I'm spending more money on my rent for. Um, but things just get, how do you, how do you fit those things into your budget? I do now. I think, here's the thing. I am super scrappy. I think one of the secrets to bossed up success and becoming uh, revenue generating, like profitable within a, the first year. And then I went full time with by the second year, uh, and we've doubled our revenues pretty much every year since for three years. One of the secrets to that is really being clear and assertive about sticking to our budget. And I am very scrappy. And, and that meant saying no to co-working spaces for a long time. But I've recognized recently that I am in another moment of identity transition. My business is doing things differently for the first time in a while. Like we're in this moment of of expansion in terms of what we're going to do next. 
And during those moments, you got to invest in yourself. So I'm investing in my own training. I'm going to some new like general assembly trainings and some more Instagram trainings through, it's time for me to invest in people who are way more experienced and wiser than me so that I can continue to develop myself. And part of that meant developing a community through co-working here in Denver. Because I, I just moved to Denver from DC about a year ago, and I haven't really invested in my own professional community here. So that needs to change. And you know, what your goals are can be determined by what your budget is. Like, tell, tell me your budget, and I'll tell you what you're focused on, you know? So that helped me make investments because I said, this quarter, this is a priority. So where do you, let me ask, where do you see Boston Up going in five years, in 10 years? Where do you see the future of this business? So I see myself doing very similar kinds of work that I'm doing right now because I really do feel so aligned with what I'm doing, which I really want to develop further my public speaking. So I'm investing there right now. I see myself doing a lot more public speaking at corporations and organizations and conferences, which is something we've already made a huge part of my work, but I want to master that craft. Right now I'm, I'm, I'm a decent public speaker and storyteller, and it's a craft I want to become a master at. Emily is modest, by the way, because she's an amazing public speaker who has done TED I'm not too shabby. I'll, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. I've done a lot of work, right? I've, I've trained. I've had, I've benefited from incredible trainings and professors. And I did a fellowship at Harvard all about storytelling and power and change. And yeah, and I, I had an amazing professor at Brown, Barbara Tannenbaum, who taught me how to be the public speaker that I am today. I teach other people how to be better public speakers. So I'm not too shabby, but I want to really make that my craft. And the same thing can be said for writing. And this is my first book that's coming out with Public Affairs Books next year. And I, I have no intention in making it my last. And I just really think it's a powerful way to build a community, to chronicle your own knowledge, right? To chronicle what you've learned over your lifetime and leave it behind for others to benefit from and to lift as we climb. It's like the most, it's the most interesting to me example of how you can lift as you climb because books are so accessible, to people who are motivated and self-directed learners. And I've benefited from a lot of reading myself. So I'd love to be a part of that. Amelia's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, babies are definitely in my future too. I think part of what's been beautiful in the past six years, I'm marrying my, my fiance next month after six years of being together. Yeah, so part, yeah, it's like one month away. It's his birthday today too. So I'm finishing his birthday cake upstairs in a minute. But the, um, the beautiful thing about clarifying a vision as, as a partnership for me has been not the professional goals, but the personal goals and really articulating what's important to us. So we want to stay really physically active. We want to stay really into the outdoors. That's why we're here in Colorado. We want to ski, like have our best ski seasons ever, which we've been having lately and you know, playing music. I mean, we're, we're really focusing on having the most fun possible, which I didn't even know was a thing. You know what I mean? Like until this year, I'm, yeah. I mean, we had a party in our backyard for our Denver friends who can't make it out to the wedding, which Brad's parents are hosting on their farm in New York. Um, 
So we had a party here. I catered it because I love cooking and it was so much fun. We had like 50 people over and Brad and I played a little musical set. And he said something as he was opening up and thanking everyone for being there about how intentional we were since minute one when we started dating about really getting clear on and getting busy making our dream lives a reality. And that's why we're here. That's why we were surrounded by so many powerful people like who we care about. You know, we feel this sort of community around us. And a friend of mine came up to me afterwards. She's, she and I have been friends for close to over a decade, like 12 years. We went to college together. And she said, that really hit me because it is so clear to me, having seen you over the last 12 years, like you are living your best, most bossed up life right now. And I'm like, yeah, I really feel that way. And I want to evolve that and also get, become a master at getting that more accessible to everyone, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of our still very racist and misogynistic and imperfect world. Like, how do we help replicate that in other people's lives? That is, that is what I wanted to devote my life to, whether it's through the private sector or eventually through the public sector, because I probably will end up running for office someday too. Running for office someday too. <laughs> So yeah, we would totally vote for Emily, and at this point, when we were doing the interview, we thanked her for ha- for coming on and taking the time to do this, because we we really appreciate it. We just think she's so amazing. Thank well, for having me on. I'm so glad that you started the show, even if it's like because you're too lazy to blog about things, right? Because that is the best... That is the best outcome that can happen from an efficiency, you know, pursuit of efficiency. I love it. Um, folks can find everything about me and Bossed Up at bossedup.com. That's Bossed Up with an E-D. So B-O-S-S-E-D and then up. And that's also the name of my podcast and my forthcoming book. So find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have two shows a week, one with an interview and one that's a real quick hit of a boss tip to make your life and work better. Make your life and work better. So that's it. If you've listened this far, you've probably learned a lot and you are ready to subscribe to Bossed Up. Um, So again, we know this was not a typical episode, but we know it was totally worth it to listen. I hope I edited okay. Um, But again, thank you so much, Emily, for doing this. And um, Emily's link, social media, etc. It's all in the show notes. Oh my gosh. And if you go to her Instagram, you can see her adorable wedding picture with her dog and her gorgeous dress and the very handsome Brad the Boo. So be fabulous and thank you for listening. Bye. Cotton both, how to Jane Fonda. One, two, three, four. Get your booty on the dance floor. Work it out. Shake it, little mama. Let me see you do the Jane Fonda. Five, six, seven now. If you don't know, let me show you how to work it out. Work it, little mama. I 